This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church, reaching people to discover life in Christ. Stay tuned and visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org. We are in the midst of a series this summer uh, called Urban Legends. We're talking about things that Christians believe but can't really find in the Bible. Well, I think it's there somewhere, but they can't really find it. And uh, today's urban legend says, that, says this, everything has a reason. Everything has a purpose. We'll talk about that this morning. Um, I have a mission here in the community. Uh, I serve with the fire department as their chaplain. And my role as a chaplain with the fire department's put me in far more tragic tragic situations than I could, than I would have ever otherwise encountered, I think. Uh, there's this little room that uh, sits off of the emergency room at the hospital where I often am called to sit with people who are about to lose uh, a loved one. Uh, I've been to fires where families have lost all their possessions. I've been to suicides. I've been to drug overdoses. I've been to the drowning deaths of little children, of dads. Uh, last year, a, a couple, husband and wife, drowned at the same time, and I responded to that incident. Um, a brother and a sister, toddlers, a few summers ago, I was called to the hospital. They got locked in a car on a hot summer day, and, and uh, both died, and I was there uh, to minister to their family. Um, I've been to the car crash and death of a police officer who was a friend of mine. A lot of horrible things. And in most of those occasions, because of who I am and what I do, I'm either the one who is making the death notification or I'm, I'm present when the doctor comes in to deliver uh, those horrible words. You may not ever have to deal with anything like that in, in life, and that's okay, but we all find ourselves in, in different circumstances where because of what happens, we, we want to somehow find the words if I only knew the words that I could say right now that somehow make this tragedy make sense. And so we search for the words. Maybe it's not a death, but maybe it's the news of someone who's been di- with someone that's been diagnosed with cancer or someone who's just been told that their unborn child is going to be born with some kind of a birth defect or, or that three weeks prior to the closing on their dream home, he gets laid off from his job that their home is being lost to foreclosure or the husband's left for another woman. For a lot of Christians, those kinds of heartaches invoke in us this need that we have to, what can I do? How can I bring comfort with words that frankly often don't? And they come from this this feeling that we got to say something comes from this urban legend idea about God. And maybe someone has said something like this to you, or maybe you've been the one who has said things like this, like, have you heard this? Well, God must be up to something. Or, you know, God doesn't make mistakes. Or how about this one? You must be very special to God, for God to trust you with this. Won't it be great to see how God uses this? And then, of course, this one. Isn't it good to know that everything happens for a reason? 
You ever said those things, ever heard those things? We all have, and they don't seem to help. And it's true, no matter what happens, God is sovereign, he's in control, but it makes us, you have to ask, the question is being begged, well, does God cause tragedy? Is it his will when because of a wrong choice or a sinful action, people get hurt? I was looking this morning at the news. I opened up the, you know, my computer, I was looking at news and saw the story of this guy in Norway that killed 92 people this weekend and 92 others are hurt because of explosions and because of him shooting for an hour, an hour and a half his gun at a, in a youth camp and, and, and the horrible things that he did. And then I read somewhere in the story, this fellow often blogs on the fundamentalist Christian blog site. Does that mean he was acting on behalf of God somehow? He thinks he was. Does God cause those kinds of things? Is it his will when those things happen? Is he the cause of everything that happens? Does it mean that everything he allows is good? I read the Bible, and, and I, you know, I just have a hard time believing that God caused Lucifer to rebel. I have a difficult time swallowing the fact that maybe God is the one that was responsible for Eve eating the forbidden fruit or that it was because God caused Cain to kill Abel or God said, hey, it's okay, David, for you to sleep with that woman who's not your wife, that that was all part of God's plan? I don't think so. Those who carry out evil deeds bear full responsibility for their actions. They can't blame God. And of course, you have the the great case of the one who tried to blame God, Adam. He said, well, it wasn't my fault, God. It was the woman's fault. And who gave me the woman? Well, God would have none of that. So where do we get this idea that God is behind everything that happens? There's a verse that you probably know, you've heard, you've quoted, you've memorized. But it's so often misinterpreted because it causes people to think God is the direct cause of everything. Romans 8, 28, you know that verse. We often quote it, we try to apply it in an effort to make sense out of life's trials. It's the favorite proof text for the, well, everything is good if you wait long enough, crowd. But it doesn't really say what most people think it does. In fact, it doesn't even apply to most people who turn for it to comfort. So what does it say? What doesn't it say? Who's it for? The King James Version, the King James Bible, first published in 1611, used Elizabethan English. And it says it this way. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Okay, I've learned that verse. Does that mean that everything that happens is a part of God's greater plan? Doesn't that verse teach us that given enough time, everything that happens will prove in the end to have been good or necessary? Is that what it says? I don't think so. The problem is with translation. You know, language changes over time, doesn't it? Have you noticed that? Words that used to mean one thing now mean something else. For example, when the King James Bible was written in 1611, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and it uses the word over and over again, the word charity. Charity means what? 
love. Now, today, when we use the word charity, we don't think of love. We think of reaching in our pocket and dropping something in the pot in front of Walmart as the guy rings the bell at Christmas time. That's what we think of as charity today. When I was a kid, if, if I said, you know, if I used the word sick around my mother, she would put a thermometer in my mouth. You know, she would want to see what my temperature was. But today, the word sick means really awesome, dude. That's one really sick surfboard you got. That's what sick means. It means really great. For me, it meant I was bowing before the porcelain God in the middle of the night that I didn't want to do. That's what sick meant. Now it means something really good. Language changes. I, was, I saw the other day a truck drive by. It's, it works for a, it's owned by a, a wireless business, a Verizon or one of those guys, and, it, and touting how fast their service was. It, it had the words on, on the truck, wicked fast. Wicked used to mean evil, you know? Now it means super. So words, language changes with generations over time. If you look at this, give you, I'm going to give you a modern English translation from the original Greek. It's not a paraphrase. It helps us understand what this verse is saying. This is the NIV. Read it with me. Let's read it aloud together. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Did you, did you see a difference there? It doesn't say that everything that happens is good. It simply says that God is at work in all things. What that means, Christian, is this. Satan's best shot to destroy you cannot overcome God's ultimate goal in your life. Can't do it. It doesn't mean, however, that everything that happens is somehow, in some twisted way, good or necessary. When you try to make God responsible for everything that happens, good, bad, Makes no difference. You're accepting something that cannot be logically defended. If horrible things like natural disasters or, or, um, or uh, disease epidemics, if those are expressions of God's goodness, they should have been happening in the garden before Adam and Eve fell. Those kinds of things ought to be happening where God's ultimate goodness is happening all the time in heaven. But they're not. So it makes no sense to say that a tragedy a tornado, an epidemic that kills thousands is somehow God doing his love thing. Not only that, but here's, here's something about this verse that most people just go right over. They totally miss. This verse is not a promise, a universal promise for everybody. I mean, it's not even a promise for every Christian, I don't think. Look at it. What it says again, it says, for, for, for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. There's a couple very specifics there about the kind of person this verse applies to. Somebody who loves God, somebody who's been called according to God's purpose. Well, who is that? Well, who's been called? The phrase, the called, was an ex uh, a favorite expression of Paul's. He's the one who wrote Romans 8, 28. He liked to use that expression. And in Paul's writings, the called are those who have, very simply, people who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. 1 Timothy 6.12, Paul said, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. God in his grace, if you're a Christian, you are because God in his grace drew you to the place in life when you received Jesus Christ and you believed in him. 
And every believer, Paul writes, has that calling. So if you're a Christian, you are the called. The big question is, so do I love God? The called, those who love God. Am I part of that group? Am I part of those who love God? Well, who is that? Who loves God? And I think the Bible tells us that's even more exclusive. Jesus said in John 14, 15, about who loves God, he said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I don't know about you. I can't speak for you. I can speak for me. But if that's Jesus' definition of what it means to love him, I'll tell you the truth right now. There are more times than I would like to admit that I'm loving something or someone other than him. Because I don't go through life, I don't think I can go through 24 hours completely, totally obeying Jesus every moment of my life. And maybe you can, but I don't think I do. And if I'm not obedient to him, if I am not keeping his commandments, he says at that moment in time, you're not loving me with the love that he requires. So it would appear that the promise is given of Romans 8.28 to those who are Christians and who are obedient. It's not a blanket promise that says no matter how I live, God's going to step in and he's going to fix the mess that my rebellion created. Not what it means. So, to say to that coworker that you, that you work with every day who has, she has no interest at all in spiritual things, but she's just found out that her youngest child has autism, for example, to say to her, it's okay, God will work it out for your good, is not true. Well, doesn't God love her? Of course he does. That's why he sent Jesus to die for her. And, and hopefully she'll learn that and discover that. Maybe your witness will lead her to that discovery that God does love her and she'll receive Jesus as her Savior. And if he does, he has a life ready for her that he'll go through with her. But Romans 8.28 is not a promise for her. Romans 8.28 does not say this is a promise for those God loves. It says it is a promise for who? Those who love God. If she has no interest in God at all, obviously she's not loving him. This promise doesn't work. So even though I'm a Christian, and even though I'm a believer, and even though I'm one of the called, if I cheat on my taxes, let's say, and I get caught, and I go to prison because I have cheated on my taxes and have broken the law, did God cause all that to happen? Is that God's doing in my life? No. Did he allow it? Sure. Is God going to let me go to prison for breaking the law? You bet. Did God have a reason for me to break the law? Did God decide, you know what, I think it's a good thing if Rick cheats and I'm going to put this thing in him that he's going to cheat and break the law. He's not going to be able to resist this. Did God decide one day that for me to become more like Jesus, I needed to become a criminal? Does that make any sense to you? No. But can he, if I do cheat and I do lie and I break the law and I go to prison, can God use that experience to change my life? Absolutely. Why? Because he's God. And for him, nothing is impossible, not even the messes that I make. So I can't blame God. Don't blame God. There is a difference, I believe, between what God causes and what God allows. And the scriptures make it clear 
that there are a number of scenarios where the dark trials of our lives have nothing to do with God's wonderful plans for our lives. For example, some things that God doesn't cause. God doesn't cause, number one, sinful choices. He doesn't cause sinful choices. Sometimes we suffer simply because we go against what we know is godly and what is right. I'll give you an example. If you get a loan to buy a house, to get a mortgage, you get a loan to buy this house that you can't afford, but you got the loan because you went to fill out the application and the mortgage officer wanted to get this mortgage, wanted to get you this loan, said, look, just fudge a little bit about your income. Everybody does it. And so you did on the application and you got the loan to get the house and, and, you, and you, then a year later, because you can't make the payments because you don't have the income, the bank forecloses on your house and you don't have it anymore. Is God bound then to step in and find a way for you to keep that home? No, why? Because you lied to get it. God's not behind that. More, here's the deal, more than God wants you to have a nicer home, God wants you to be honest. God wants you to walk with integrity and live with character. God doesn't cause sinful choices. God doesn't cause life in a fallen world. The sin thing that Adam started in the garden is still prevalent in the world and affects our lives every day. What was the first story in the Bible, you Bible students? First story in the Bible after Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve fall, what's the next story that we hear about in that family? Bad guy kills good guy, isn't it? That's part of life in the fallen world that we live in. Bad people do bad things and good people get hurt. But God, is that why God created the world? No. And the fallen world also includes, you know, what happens in, in nature. A tsunami in Japan, tornadoes in Alabama, Missouri, fa- famine in Africa. Uh, you'll hear this week, and maybe we've already been hear- hearing, I have, of people who have died in the United States from the heat. Is it like God said, oh, I want some pe- dead people this week. Let's fry them in the States, you know. Let's just make it so hot nobody can live. Is that the God Is that who he is? Did God cause that? No. God created a perfect world. Our sin is what messed it up. Christians, the called who love God, you and I, who know Jesus Christ and love him, truly love him, we live in a fallen world, and the impact of sin in this world impacts our lives. The Bible doesn't teach Because you're a Christian now, you live in some kind of bubble, some kind of holy magic bubble of protection that God doesn't allow anything bad to happen in your life. Drunk drivers still kill Christians, don't they? Christians still lose their properties as a result of hurricanes. Right now in this world, Christians are being being executed, put to death because of their faith. I want to jot this down. When it comes to the consequences of the fall, We aren't offered immunity, we're offered eternity. God doesn't say bad things don't happen to Christian people, they do. When Peter wrote his letters to the first century believers, they were being put to death at the time, they were being persecuted, they were being thrown to the lions simply because they believed in Jesus Christ. Listen to what he wrote to these people. 
First Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he said, My friends, do not be surprised at the terrible trouble which now comes to test you. Don't be surprised about it. Do not think that something strange is happening to you. Oh, God, what in the world's going on? I put my faith in your son, Jesus. I've become your child, and now, now I'm, I'm losing everything. Now they're threatening to kill us. Now we're being terribly persecuted. Don't think it's strange. He said, but be happy that you're sharing in Christ's suffering so that you'll be happy and full of joy when Christ comes again in glory. Bad stuff happens because we live in a fallen world. Another reason bad stuff happens that God didn't cause are foolish decisions. Foolish decisions. Not necessarily sinful choices, but dumb ones. You ever make dumb choices? There are some days I go through the day, and by the end of the day, I look back at my day, and I said, how would you describe your day today, Rick? Dumb and dumber. You know, it's just, uh, did I do anything smart at all today? And so I have those. Do you ever have those days? Oh, let me ask. Ladies, does your husband ever have those days? Got more response that way. All right. Now, choosing the wrong business partner or investing in the wrong stocks can cause bankruptcy. Dumb decision can cause bad things to happen. If I go out to the beach today, and I'm not going to, because I'm not that dumb. If I go out to the beach today, it's too hot. If I go out to the beach today and I say, you know what, God, you created the sun, and I'm your child. You love me. God, I just got to preach the Bible twice today. Um, I'm going to go out and lay out on the beach today, and I'm not going to use any kind of sunblock because you're bigger than the sun, and you can protect me today from the evil ravages of the sun on my body. I go out and lay in that sun all afternoon. You know what's going to happen to me? I'm going to come off sizzling like a piece of bacon. I'm going to be fried. I mean, I'm going to be in pain. I'm going to have, in a few years, I'm going to have skin cancer as a result of this dumb decision. And I can, after, you know, I can say, God, why did you let me get sunburned? Or I can even pray, God, please take this pain away. And he's going to look at me and say, no, you dummy, don't do that again. Does God let me do dumb things? Yeah. To assume that he'll jump in and fix every dumb decision I make, again, is foolish thinking. Proverbs 19, verses 2 and 3. Enthusiasm without knowledge is not good. If you act too quickly, you might make a mistake. How many of you say, I know that's true. I've happened, that's happened to me. I didn't think about it. That's why, you know, you hear somebody says, you need to sleep on it. People's own foolishness ruins their lives, but get this, in their minds, they blame the Lord. Well, God, you made the sun. And God says, and I also put a brain in your head, use it. Dumb choices, dumb foolish decisions. God doesn't promise to keep us from making those things. He doesn't promise to fix everything we break, but he does promise this. Despite the bad choices I might make, he doesn't give up on me. He keeps working for my eternal good. Now, 
If you want to say, but I, I still believe that God's behind everything that happens, that God causes everything to happen, then here's some negative consequences of believing that. Here's kind of what you can expect in life. One thing is this, an unjustified anger at God. All of us know somebody who's angry at God. Somebody who wants nothing to do with him because of an injustice or a tragedy that they blame him for. If you believe that God's hand causes everything that happens, then what you do is you give Satan some very powerful ammunition. It goes like the thinking goes like this. If God is responsible for thousands of people dying on 9-11, and I did hear some people after that say God was in this. If God is responsible for that, he's either not very good or he's not very powerful because he could have stopped that if he'd wanted to. And if God is not very good and God's not very powerful, why waste time following a God like that? Unjustified anger at God. If God causes, he's the direct cause of everything, a second negative consequence is, is, is what we might call glossing over sin. If everything comes out in the wash in the end anyway, because everything that happens in my life is God-ordained, why should I fear sin or its consequences at all? Because it's all good. It's all good. It's all going to be okay. But well, please hear me. The, James writes in, in the book of James, he said, I want you to understand, God doesn't, not only does God not approve of sin, God doesn't cause sin. Some people would take this to the extreme and say that, you know, if a murderer becomes a Christian in prison, commits murder, goes to prison, in prison, somebody shares the gospel with him and he accepts Christ and becomes a Christian, that, you know what? That murder must have been part of God's plan for his life to bring him to Jesus. Whoa, wait a second. God does not cause people to sin. God does not use people's sin. God overcomes sin. That's what God does. That's what grace is all about. Another negative consequence is irresponsibility. Irresponsibility says, thinks this way. If God guarantees that everything will eventually work out for the good no matter what, then really it doesn't matter what I do. Because God will mend the broken fences that I create, he promised in Romans 8, 28. You know, sometimes we can equate faith with, an, with acts of irresponsibility. You ever buy a lottery ticket, don't say yes. <laughs> but I think that's an irresponsible act. We can equate faith with that. And, and, and how many poor people, I mean, people in poverty, and, and that's, by the way, the vast majority of who buys lottery tickets, did you know that? It's really a tax on the poor. Rich people don't need to buy lottery tickets. They found better things to do with their money. But how many poor people buy a lottery ticket and then they probably pray something like this, God, please help me win. If you do, I'll tithe. Yeah making a deal with God, like God needs our help financially. Proverbs 22, verse 3, the wise see danger ahead and avoid it, but fools keep going and get into trouble. Irresponsibility is a negative from thinking God's directly behind everything. A fourth negative is misplaced hope. 
In some situations, especially those of long-term suffering, maybe it's a disease, a congenital defect of some kind, believing that God is eventually going to fix that can give hope initially, but what about as that thing stretches over months and over years and maybe over decades? Over time, unrealistic expectations can become disillusionment with God as we begin to say, hey, come on, God, when am I going to see the good from this? God, when are you going to fix this? It's been a long time we've been dealing with this. God, I can't take it anymore. Why don't you hear or answer my prayer? Please hear me. And this is someone who, in, in my family, we have, we have, in our family, we have experienced miracles. Some of you know the stories. And I'm not talking about some weird things. We don't play with snakes and that kind of thing. But we have experienced miracles. But I, I want you to understand that we are not guaranteed miracles in this life. We're not. But some people live on the hope that a miracle will come through. I just know God's going to do a miracle. Maybe. But what we are guaranteed is an eternal inheritance, and that should be our hope. As long as you see God as the direct cause of your heartache or your handicap, you can cling to the possibility that one day he'll miraculously stop the seizures or make the paralyzed legs walk. But the other side of that same coin is that if you see God as the direct cause of it, you see God also being the cause of the malady, and that means he is the author of your or your child's private hell. Which is it? That causes great despair in people. So, Rick, can a bad thing ever be a good thing? Can bad ever become good? Sure. The Bible gives examples where that happened. Probably the greatest, the most well-known, the one that illustrates it the best, I think, is the Old Testament story of Joseph, who was sold by his brothers into slavery, and he wound up some 30 years later as being the one who would save those same brothers' families from starvation. What a great example. You know that incredible statement from Joseph as he met his brothers for the first time in all those years. He's the leader of the nation of Egypt. The only person taught higher than him in Egypt is the Pharaoh. And Joseph's come up with this plan to store grain, and he is their salvation. And they come to him begging, please help us. They don't know who he is. He reveals himself to them. I'm your brother Joseph, the one when I was a kid you threw into the pit and sold to slave traders, the one you took my coat of many colors and, and, and killed, a, killed a lamb and put its blood on it and then took it to dad and said, Dad, uh, a wild beast has killed your son Joseph and you broke our father's heart. I'm the one that was sold into slavery. I'm the one that has been in prison. I'm the one that's been separated from my family for all these 30 years, but I want you to know something. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, he said, You planned evil against me, but God planned it for good. And Joseph didn't say that what his brothers did was good, did he? I mean, it's not a good thing to throw your little brother into a hole. It's not a good thing to sell him to slave, to, to slave traders. That, it's not a good thing to lie to dad and break his heart. 
He didn't say that was a good thing. He didn't say that was a necessary thing. He didn't say that everything that happened happened for a reason. But what he did point out was in spite of their wicked act of cruelty and hatred, he knew God was still at work. There's nothing in Joseph's life that indicates while he was a slave or while he was falsely accused of a crime, while he spent time in prison, even while he was the highest man in the country, there's nothing to indicate that in the Bible that Joseph knew during all that time, but you know what? God is up to something special in my life. He didn't have a clue. He was in, he's in a hole. He's in slavery. He's in prison. He's separated from his family. But what did Joseph know? Here's what he knew. Get this. Joseph knew that whole time that whatever Wherever he was, whatever he was doing, the right path for him to follow was a righteous path. And that if he did one day, he would be rewarded either in this life or in eternity. So Joseph held on to his God. The greatest example, of course, of bad turning into good would be the crucifixion of Jesus, the innocent son of God, being put to death so that we could have eternal life. God can take bad and turn it into good because he's God. Here's what we have to accept. It is nearly impossible for us to distinguish which of the painful events in our lives are orchestrated by God and which are not. Every trial and every hardship calls for the same response from you and from me. And you know what that response is? Obedience. That's what God wants from us. All right, so... Why doesn't God fix everything right now? God can make it all better right now, this very moment, if he chose to. Why doesn't he just step in and take charge and shut down evil? Why does he allow a defeated enemy, Satan, to rule right now as the God of this age? The answer is simple. And the answer is this. Every day that God holds back and doesn't step in and fix everything, Every day that God holds back, more of his former enemies become his friends and family. Every day around this world, men and women and boys and girls are trusting Jesus as their Savior. Peter wrote to the first century believers about the day when Christ would return. And when he returns, he's going to rule and he's going to reign. He's going to do away with evil and and like most, of, like most of us, his readers, even in the first century were, who were being persecuted, they wanted to know, well, gee, it would be really neat if that happened right now. Why is he delaying? Listen to Peter's explanation, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. He said, the Lord isn't slow about keeping his promises as some people think he is. In fact, God is patient because he wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. He's holding back. But when Jesus returns and he sets up his coming kingdom, evil will be history. Satan will be done. And those who choose to rebel against God will be out of second chances. I, I confess, I often wish that, why don't you, I wish you'd come today, Lord. I do. I just look at what's happened in this world. I look at the future that I think is very bleak in this world. And I say, you know what? How can, you got to be tired of this too, God. Come on, let's go. But you know, that's really a selfish thought. I'm really thinking about me. <laughs> 
because I have friends and I have loved ones who don't yet know the Lord, and every day that Jesus delays his return is one more day of grace, and there's still hope for them to come to know him. But once he returns, that chance will be gone forever. Listen, don't waste time in life. When bad things happen, don't waste time in life looking for the silver lining. What do you do when life falls apart? What should you do? Several things. When life falls apart, first of all, look for ways to practice obedience to God. Look for ways to practice. How am I going to obey God in this situation? Take the high road. Don't do what maybe everybody else is doing. You choose the right thing to do. Act in integrity. Tell the truth, even if the truth brings pain. Refuse in your life to return evil for evil. That means don't, don't seek revenge. Be thankful in every situation. Doesn't the Bible say that? In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God. Now, that doesn't mean that you're thankful for every situation. But in the midst of it, you are thankful that as we go through this trial, this struggle, whatever it might be, God, in the midst of it, I can hold on to your hand and know you're going to lead me through this time in my life. Walk in with integrity, even if you're the only one doing so. And then do the right thing, even if it doesn't work out so well. Do what's right. Let me ask you a question uh, as we close out this morning. Uh, is simple question. Is Jesus your Savior? Um, has there been a time in your life when you believed in him by faith, trusted in him, and established that relationship with him? If, if so, here's what he promised you. Hebrews 13, verse 5. He said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. God hasn't promised in your life that everything's going to work out, turn out just lovely in this life. But he has promised that no matter what happens, he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. And in Romans 8, 28, he promised that no matter what comes your way, his good and eternal purposes for those who are his called, those who love him, can never be stopped. He's continually at work in and through you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to grasp this truth for what it is. Help us not to blame you for our wrong choices, our sinful decisions, our uh, dumb decisions. Help us not to blame you, Father, for the fact that we live in a fallen world and the result of that is that it impacts our lives. That's not your doing. Help us to realize, though, Lord, that throughout life, you're there for us, and you can work and you can overcome in our lives, and we thank you and praise you that you're that kind of a God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church reaching people to discover life in Christ. Visit us on the internet at nagsheadchurch.org.